Should an old acquaintance be forgot and never brought to mind? Should old acquaintance be forgot and days of old Radios this week on Broadway for Sunday, December 31st, 2017, the last show of the year. My name is James Marino, and the broadcast today we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a theater journalist and historian with a number of books. His most recent is The Great Parade, which is available everywhere. His columns appear at MTI Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, in many of the places. Good morning, Peter. Hi. Hello. Also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael is a theater reviewer and essayist. He is also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You can see his photography work at filespotphoto.com. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. Good morning. So both of you uh, surviving this Arctic blizzard here? Well, I guess it's not really a blizzard. It's just Arctic cold weather. We had light dusting of snow. Mm -hmm. Yes. (laughs) Oh, well. <laughs> it's what happens this time of year. It does. Also, what happens this time of year is there's not a lot of openings. But Michael, you did get to one opening that happened in the last seven days, uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. So tell us about that. Yes, this is a production of the Ensemble for the Romantic Century, which is a very interesting company that uh, does these shows that uh, combine several of the arts. They will feature beautiful uh classical music from the romantic period, uh, instrumental and vocal, along with uh, usually a story of someone uh, or something from the same rough time period. In this case, uh, the last show that they did that I saw was called Van Gogh's Ear, about Vincent Van Gogh. This one is Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, uh, and it's spelled as written by Eve Wolfe, um, but what that means is she really compiled uh, and edited sections of actual letters that Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley wrote, uh, also excerpts from her diaries, and excerpts from Frankenstein, her her most famous work. Uh, And so what you get here is really beautiful music um, by, let's see, uh, we have Franz Liszt, Johann Sebastian Bach, Franz Schubert. Uh, There's a piece by uh, Bach and Busoni, I guess arranged by Busoni. Uh, And they are played beautifully on the piano by Stephen Lynn, on the organ and harpsichord by Parker Ramsey, and the oboe by Kemp Jernigan. And there is a mezzo-soprano in the cast, Christy Swan, who sings various of these excerpts. And uh, there are beautiful, beautiful very high-tech projections to set the tale. Uh, what it is is basically an exploration of Shelley's life in 
comparison to the themes in the book. Uh, she had quite uh, a life. I don't know how if, how familiar you guys are, but among other things, uh, three of her children died at a very young age. I think one or two in childbirth and, and the other at a very young age. And then her husband, Percy Shelley, died uh, at 30 when he was uh, – in a, some kind of a ship disaster, so he, uh, so sh- she had a lot of uh, sadness and anger, I suppose, in her life, and uh, but a lot of that happened after she wrote Frankenstein. Interestingly enough, um, the. The piece is very famous to many people through the, the film version with Boris Karloff, but that version, as I'm sure many people know, is takes quite a lot of liberties with the original story. In this case, the monster, and that is how he is billed uh, in this production, is played by Robert Fairchild, who uh, has been famous as a ballet dancer and has, over the past few years, really been making a move into theater and uh, and eventually i guess film and television he uh was a huge success as the lead in an american in paris on broadway he also did um uh he just did brigadoon uh, as harry beaton at city center and uh he did have his official farewell at uh, as a ballet dancer just a couple of months ago and i'm told he really is making the push to uh for stage and film and TV acting. So keep your eye on him. You will probably hear a lot from him in the future. He also choreographed this production. And I would say that his participation in it is is one of the major reasons to see it. Uh, don't go to this expecting much in the way of any narrative cohesion, because that's really not what their shows are about. They're just very atmospheric and various textual and musical excerpts to give you a uh, this kind of feeling of what was happening in the romantic period. And as I said, really, really beautiful, excellent projections. Um, so that uh, it, it's hard to really describe one of the ensemble for the romantic century shows if you haven't seen it. And then if you've seen one, uh, you get an idea of the way they operate in general. So I um, would recommend it as a very unique uh, theater experience and also a chance uh, to see Robert Fairchild on stage again uh, because I think he's going to be (laughs) – we're going to see him – well, I hope we're going to see him again on stage, but I think we're also going to see him on film and TV if he has anything to say about it. So the uh, uh, ensemble for the Romantic Century, uh, they had Van Gogh's Year earlier uh, this yes. summer, um, I don't recall. Did we review that? Yes, I, I did. I believe it's in the archives. Okay, so I'll have to link to that. The, the projections were astonishing. The produ- projections in Rango's ear were unlike any I had ever seen. Uh, yes. You really felt you were watching the real paintings up there. It was extraordinary beyond belief. A, a texture to the projections. That's what made them amazing texture uh i've never seen that before so um so i'm really uh curious about anything they did so thanks for the recommendation michael and i should mention just a few uh it's not a one-man show rocco sisto is excellent oh. as uh he plays among other roles he plays the blind man which is one of the scenes that people will remember from the film and then um 
Unfortunately, as Mary Shelley, uh, there's a woman named Mia Vallett who I just did not really enjoy her performance. And uh, it, both in her case and the case of Paul Wesley, who played Percy Shelley, it seemed to me they both had a very contemporary style, modern uh, style of acting that didn't that uh, was really counter to what the whole atmosphere of the show is supposed to be about. So I'm not sure. Um, what why that is uh, Donald Sanders directed I think he might have either cast those roles differently or worked with them for more of a some kind of more more of a period feel but um but this is definitely worth seeing as a as a very interesting curiosity and as I said for Robert Fairchild uh the next uh, ensemble for the Romantic Century show is Tchaikovsky None But the Lonely Heart coming up in May this uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein does wrap up uh, first week in January, so you only have a few more days to check that out if uh, you're able to. So, uh, as I mentioned, there's not a lot of uh, reviews coming up, but we thought we'd take this time to reflect upon our year. Uh, and a- as theater people you know, involved in reviewing Broadway, we sort of have two years running in concurrence one is uh june to june and <laughs> for the tony season and the rest of our uh, uh population is for the january to january like everybody else but uh we thought maybe we'd reflect uh, upon our last year and uh, peter why don't you talk to us about what you thought about 2017 in the theater well, it's funny. I'm, I'm looking at um, my list of uh, bests, which I, which I've always been keeping um, since I really started going to the theater. Um, not that anybody knows anything about it. I don't send out certificates or prizes or anything. <laughs> uh, life's hard enough. But it's funny to look at um, the list of what I have thus far in uh, the new season and what I have from the last season. And so many things that I have here were um, very under the radar situations. I mean, for example, uh, the best actor that I saw in a musical, um, it, uh, let me do it this way. Okay. I go by seasons. Absolutely. So as a result, I have holdovers from last season and this season um, to talk about. So, um, but for this year, the best performance I saw given by an actor was Jason Grah in a musical called Move It and It's Yours. This is a terrific little show. I've seen it three times. It cannot seem to uh, make the leap, and I'm sorry it doesn't. It's simply about a, a guy who's... Um, his marriage is over and um, he's got to get out of his apartment and he's got a piano and um, he wants to get rid of it. Move it in the jaws. He doesn't even want any money for it. And various people come to the apartment and everybody has a very interesting story. And what I really think is terrific is um, that he works for a company and uh, that deals with it's a magazine, and um, he's an editor of a magazine uh, for a company that has an industrial magazine. So the name of the magazine is Cheese Horizons because it's a cheese company. And uh, he talks about all the other magazines that uh, one uh, these industrial magazines like Pizza Today, you know, and I mean all these magazines that you don't see on the newsstand. It's a hilarious song, and Jason Grodd did it beautifully. And ironically enough, um, that would be the the performance that stands out most for me. Is the far this year. 
And um, I, wow. it was at the York, and nobody saw it. Um, it was only uh, maybe one day or two, just a reading. But um, but I thought it was since he was sensational. For for actress in a musical, um, of course you have to think about um, Bette Midler. But of course, most everybody who has seen. Um, Donna Murphy feels that she's uh, giving the superior performance. But I also have to go to bat for Samantha Massell, who was in rags at good speed, uh, playing uh, Rebecca, that very difficult role, uh, with, uh, certainly a very difficult score to sing, too. So um, so that would be my um, feeling for best um, actress and for best featured actor. This is off the radar, to say the least. Uh, Quinn Matfield for Blueprint Specials. Now, Blueprint Specials wasn't done in the theater. It was done on the Intrepid, the um, the ship that's out um, <laughs> on the Hudson River. And it was a Frank Lesser review, mostly, um, that they used to do to uh, help uh, people uh, in the military keep up their morale. So he was just endearing as this soldier who really uh, tried to make the best of things under very difficult circumstances and had a perky winning attitude. And I just adored him. And for featured actor in a musical, um, um, actress in a musical, Lindsay Mendez, who I've always loved, I thought was tremendous in The Golden Apple. And um, I, I, I cannot get enough of this actress. I just adore her. And I know she's coming back in something, though I don't remember what. Um, if we want to count, I'm not sure where to put Marie-Pierre de Brienne, who was sort of a lead, sort of not a lead in The Apprenticeship of Duddy Kravitz. And again, a reading at the York. Um, and this is a terrific musical, um, music by Alan Menken, uh, lyrics by David Spencer, book by David Spencer. Uh, you may know the movie Duddy Kravitz, which um, deals with a young man who is going to succeed no matter what. And um, it has three of Alan Menken's best songs, as far as I'm concerned. And here was this, uh, this is his girlfriend, uh, and she is just so winning um, in trying to keep him on the straight and narrow, which is not easy for Duddy to do. So, uh, and for director, I would say Ray Roderick for The Apple Tree at Musicals Tonight, because he reinvented it so wonderfully. So, I mean, these are very, very off the charts um, type of things. <laughs> but... Again, for the York, uh, the best musical I saw was Desperate Measures um, and um, in the most recent time. And I don't remember if the band's visit um, when I saw it at the Atlantic was last year or this year. I, I, uh, so um, <clears throat> if it's this year, OK, I'll go with the band's visit. But uh, Desperate Measures, a musical version of um, Measure for Measure set in the... Uh, Old West was the best musical I saw, and certainly the book um, for it was uh, really great. So uh, Peter Kellogg gets um, a nod there. Choreography, though, is a little more mainstream in the sense that it was Brigadoon, the one that Michael just mentioned with uh, Robert Fairchild. Um, so I like that a lot. And um, so that's my musical selections and um, I, my play selections when we talk about those aren't going to be much different. All right. So uh, I was talking into a muted microphone. Lindsay Mendez is doing uh, Carousel, Carrie Pepperidge. Right. That's right. Uh, yes. So, and which is something that everybody's looking forward to. Some big, big musicals coming uh, this spring with My Fair Lady and Carousel, musical mm -hmm. revivals, I should say. Mm -hmm. um, so, Michael, anything to say about Peter's List or any, anything uh -huh. you wanted to add for yourself? Well, speaking of desperate measures, I, I don't remember if I discussed it last week, but I just caught up with it I uh, because of scheduling difficulties. And I believe I cut off, 
caught up with it uh, right before some of the original cast was going to leave because the show was extended several times. Um, so I did get to see the entire original cast, and I really enjoyed it so much. And you know what was so surprising to me is that the same writing team, Peter Kellogg and David Friedman, earlier this year had another show called Money Talks, which I thought was one of my least enjoyable experiences of the year. Um, and I think that's fascinating. And I suppose there's a moral there somewhere. I mean, assuming people agree with me, uh, it would seem like one idea really inspired this team to do excellent work. And the other, uh, that money talks thing, I don't know, it just seemed like a kind of a one joke concept to me that, that got stale very quickly. And, uh, and I don't even remember the quality of the music and lyrics in that so much because the whole idea just seems so silly and and slight. Um, did you see both shows, Peter? No, I did not oh. see Money Talks. Oh, okay. Well, then I guess you'll just <laughs> I have, I'll have to take, to my, take your word for my it. My right. word for what for what it's <laughs> worth. Yeah, but um, but. Uh, uh, Des Desperate Measures was extended several times, so that shows that um, Peter and I are not the only people who really, really enjoyed it. And uh, it was given a, a, a lovely um, production at the York. Uh, you know, I'm used to seeing musicals in Mufti there. Uh, but this one had a really, really uh, lovely little set, and uh, I thought that the space was used very creatively, and the cast was excellent as well. So that's what I, um, my comment on Desperate Measures. I um, also, I think that the Brigadoon was really a highlight of this, or it w or would have been a highlight of any year uh, with that cast, Patrick Wilson and um, Kelly O'Hara and Robert Fairchild and Asif Manvi and the choreography beautifully uh, redone by Christopher Wielden, uh, not not the Agnes DeMille original choreography, except for maybe a few nods in a few places. Um, that I think has one, been one of the biggest successes of the, uh, I don't think it was officially called an on-course production, but the staff was entirely on course. So I think that's how we can consider it. And I, um, that was something very, very special. I noticed I had, um, uh, a year that that had some interesting connections in it. I saw a really terrific production of Titanic uh, down at the Signature Theater in D.C. And then uh, not long after, I saw a, a really terrific production of Titanic at Wagner College. And then um, much more recently, Wagner did nine. And so it became uh, a little bit of a Maury Yeston festival for uh. This year, especially because also Gerard Alessandrini had put together a Maury Yeston review that was done up at the Triad. Um, so it's funny uh, how um, things sometimes gel like that and, and there seems to be a synchronicity. I was trying to think um, for Titanic, uh, this wasn't really a big anniversary year. I guess it was the 95th anniversary of the sinking right uh but so i don't know if anniversary had anything to do with it but um well, it's the 20th anniversary of the show 
Uh, oh, of the show. Okay. <laughs> See, I was thinking. In, I was thinking in terms of the singing. All right. Well, there you go. Maybe that's maybe that's why. And um, as I may have mentioned, uh, depending on how you count it, uh, nineteen sixty eight was the opening of Hair. I guess the opening on Broadway. And so uh, there's going to be. Uh, I think we're going to see a lot of hair, including a production at Wagner College in the spring on Staten Island. Um, what else? I, most of the um, favorite musicals that I saw were not on Broadway. Um, the exception being The Band's Visit, which also started off Broadway and then went to Broadway. Uh, I think The Band's Visit is deserving of all of its rave reviews. It's this beautiful little story about people from uh, different faiths, different worlds connecting on an interpersonal level and everyone should see it. And as I've noted, um, some similarities to uh, another really good Broadway musical, Come From Away. Uh, I think those are the two that I would recommend uh, the two new newer shows that I would recommend for people who want to see a musical on Broadway. But then there were um, several that were off Broadway or elsewhere. Sweeney Todd, which I caught up with when uh, Norm Lewis and Carolee Carmelo went into the leads and they were both fantastic. Uh, the Lightning Thief, an utterly delightful show, uh, which I keep hearing is going to have a further life. Uh, any of you guys heard anything on that? No. Didn't they have a uh, recording uh, that they – what were you saying? Yeah. No, I'm sorry. Go on. I, I thought that they were doing a, a new recording. I think they had a demo recording before it started, and there was – I think I heard a new recording was going to come out, and they were going to push uh, to Mount New Productions at that point. But I wasn't sure if it was in New York or regional. The new recording has come out, and I think they may have done a CD release – Thing with that, but I, I I also still keep hearing that it may turn up somewhere for a you know for a commercial run or or a, a, a longer run somewhere else, and I think that would be great because I think it's one of the best things I've seen. Um, let's see. Uh, well, Once on This Island is of course technically a, a Broadway revival at Circle in the Square, and uh, then uh, the Golden Apple was was another another real coup for encores uh, sadly lots and lots of empty seats when i went um i guess it's a, i guess it's a true cult musical and for people who complain when encores does famous titles that don't seem to fit into their mission statement the only thing i could say is that if they didn't do some of those they would not be able to do the golden apples. So I, I, I don't like to criticize them for the, the choices of the famous titles because I, I think um, we have to accept <laughs> reality and that's the world that we live in and people will go see certain things and not go see others, unfortunately. Um, and uh, one other final musical thing I wanted to mention is that I got the opportunity to put together a West Side Story 60th anniversary celebration at 54 Below, Feinstein's 54 Below, for the actual 60th anniversary on September 26th. And I was really honored that they gave me that that chance to do that and it went over very well because it's one it's one of people's favorite shows and i and i did in the end get, get a wonderful cast together so i'm 
very happy that I did that. We had that really large West Side Story. Was that a Park Avenue Armory or where was that? The uh, oh oh that was um that was actually a previous year. Was that a foundry in Queens? Is that the one oh, you're referring yes, to? Yes, you're, you're <laughs> correct. Yeah, that's yeah, right. That, yeah, that was uh, actually um, 2016, I guess. Okay, they all blur together for me. Yeah, yeah. They all... <laughs> so, Peter, why don't you take us into uh, your thoughts on plays? Well, uh, I I always do it in two separate categories, and that is um, serious plays, so to speak, and comedies. So um, um, what really uh, impressed me this year was Farinelli and the King for best play. But I want to mention a play called Daniel's Husband, which uh, was off-Broadway and I thought was really quite good. It did not get good reviews, but it really uh, affected me tremendously, and it was about this gay couple – and they didn't bother getting married. Mm-hmm. And that turned out to be a problem. One of them had a terrible stroke in which uh, he couldn't do anything physically, but mentally he was perfectly fine. And his mother, whom he hated, uh, wants to take control of his life. And uh, the boyfriend does not want this to happen because he knows that the, the, uh, his lover hates his mother and she will drive him crazy day in, day out. But the point is, they're not married and um, there are no rights there technically. So she gets control of him. It was terribly moving um, to see this happen because we felt so bad for everybody except the mother, of course. But um, a very effective play. And I was very surprised when people didn't uh, like it as much as I did. For revivals, I love Torch Song at Second Stage. And one of the reasons was uh, my favorite featured actress pick, which was um, Mercedes Rule. And that's hard for me to say favorite featured actress because, of course, both Cynthia Nixon and Laura Linney were terrific as Birdie in um, The Little Foxes. And, well, it's very hard not to pick um, uh, Laura Linney as um, the superior actress when she played Regina, specifically because uh, I loved very much when Horace was dying that um, she not only did not make a move to help him, but she crossed her leg as if to say, I'm staying where I'm at, Horace. And it was really very <laughs> effective. And you know, it, it, Cynthia Nixon didn't do that uh, little uh, cross-leg thing. So for that reason alone, um, I say that Laura Linney was uh, really sensational. But I also want to go to bat for Denise Goff, uh, who was in People, Places, and Things out at BAM. And uh, a tremendous performance playing an addicted, um, a drug-addicted woman who certainly is trying to keep it from everybody but is not succeeding. And uh, it was a terrific production, too, and it really was an excellent play. But she was magnificent in it. The featured actor, I go with Raphael Nash Thompson in Fucking A. Uh, he had the material. Uh, <laughs> Susan Laurie Parks uh, wrote a monologue for him uh, that I really truly believe I will never forget. And somebody says, how's your daughter doing? And he says, uh, no, oh, not good. Um, and he goes through a litany of about, seriously, 
it must be 30, 40, or 50 things that she's done wrong. And it becomes so hilarious as he just drones out this list of things that she has done wrong uh, that it, it's impossible not to start laughing because you really think that when he gets to some atrocity, that's going to be the final one. He's not remotely through. So um, I liked him amazingly. I also um, very much like Danny DeVito and The Price. And I understand if anybody doesn't because it was a far more comedic take than we'd seen in the past. But I thought he was very successful, and I thought he made it work uh, wonderfully. I don't remember if um, Noah Robbins and Master Harold and the Boys was uh, this year or last, but uh, he was excellent in the role of of, uh, Halley, Master Harold, who um, thinks that he can certainly do whatever he wants with uh, his um, father's two employees because they're simply black and um, and but he's the son of the boss and therefore he has um, so much power and control I'd also like to mention uh, David Greenspan um, in Strange Interlude is the best solo performance I saw because how could it not be I mean just a guy memorizing that entire play and he didn't hesitate for a second doing all nine roles 18 voices uh, for five and a half hours. Tremendous, uh, tremendous work. Uh, we got a visit from the Soul Pepper Theatre Company of Toronto doing Of Human Bondage, and Albert Schultz directed it beautifully, and certainly the play um, falls into that unique theatrical experience category because it was done in such a... Uh, 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 unique way uh, with a lot of uh, theatricality to it and of course seeing uh, the story of a human bondage of a, a man who is um, disabled and um, gets involved with the wrong woman to say the least uh, was was very powerful especially the way they did it so uh, I love Leslie Margarita in Whose Holiday um, I spoke about that recently about how I really felt that uh, the playwright had painted him into a, himself into a con a corner uh, that uh, he, he was really making uh, this uh, lady f- from who, uh, Cindy Lou Who, uh, be really, really a tough lady in many respects. And yet by the end of the show, I had a tear in my eye and Leslie Margarita is the reason why. I went back to see the play that goes wrong and I was very impressed by Alex Mandel and Preston Truman Boyd, an understudy who had to go on and had to do all those machinations there. So I thought that was um, pretty tough too. Um, but um, I also liked uh, Drew Droge in Bright Colors and Bold Patterns. He, he came back for a while to do it again. I've got to mention um, John Arlene and Chip and Gus. John Arlene and um, his, um, his partner um, in, um, in the play, uh, Christopher Patrick Mullen, they did a play while playing a ping pong game. And it was astonishing to watch them just talk while playing ping pong. I mean, they were both astonishing ping pong players as well as great actors. And um, they do it from time to time. I really recommend if, if, you, uh, if you have a chance to see them do it. Uh, this really is unquestionably <laughs> a unique theatrical experience because who expects people to uh, play ping pong while doing a play? But um, they indeed did. So I like that quite a bit. In terms of I was amazed by what I saw uh, by Eugene Lee in Napoli, Brooklyn, which um, was a play in which we were talking about a plane disaster. And if you didn't know that was coming, and I didn't, uh, kaboom, uh, the whole set fell apart. And I would imagine that's very hard to do. 
the costumes of Farinelli and the King, of course, were glorious, as you'd expect. And the lighting in a human bondage really created such a wonderful mood. Every You had to be in so many different places, but you always knew where you were because of the lighting. So, And ironically, even if Michael had not mentioned Van Gogh's ear, I would have mentioned the projections, which, as I said earlier, had texture, which I've never seen before. Oh, yeah, I also want to mention <laughs> um, Arthur, the talking and mobile bot in After the Blast. Uh, <laughs> uh, and so, uh, really, Kristen Milioti, uh interaction with uh, him, uh, this little machine. Think of R2-D2. He really looked like that. Uh, was really a, a, a tremendous uh, bonding between uh, woman and machine. They, they really had a relationship. And after all, one of them's a machine. But um, I'd also like to mention Clea Blackhurst uh, for a number of exceptional performances through the year. Uh, I saw her in um, A Woman of the Year at 54 Below and uh, No Way to Treat a Lady at 54 Below and a few other readings during the year. And um, she's just marvelous and we're very lucky to have her. So uh, so she'll, she gets a special award from me for a number of exceptional performances. That's good that uh, she's able to take home the Felicia. <laughs> no, no. Ironically <laughs> enough, you know, it's funny you say that because there is a term for them that uh, a friend of mine uh, used that uh, my late great friend David Wolf, because um, the musical Kwamina in 1961 um, was about a South African guy who uh, who goes to England to be educated and he decides to put his past behind him. And uh, that's part of the struggle when he comes back, um, that he's not the same person he was when he left. But anyway, to the point at which he renamed himself Peter. So D- David Wolf used to call these awards the Kwabinas. <laughs> so, so that's what they unofficially are. <laughs> All right, Michael, what are your thoughts on the plays? Maybe you could also call them the Man in Chair Awards. <laughs> that's ah, a good idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we're always reading, and I just recently read another very well-worded piece about uh, how the deck is stacked against plays on Broadway, uh, at least commercial productions of plays without stars. And there really are a number of uh, reasons for that. Uh, most of them, un- well, all of them unfortunate, I guess. But we still uh, do manage to get some really good ones. And I just made a list of some of the ones that stood out to me uh, for the most part. Uh, I think that I was glad to see August Wilson's Jitney finally make it to Broadway in a wonderful production. I had previously seen it off Broadway. Um, but it, it deserved to be I it deserved to be um, given that that venue. And it was a really excellent production with um, Harvey Blanks, Anthony Chisholm, Brandon Dearden, Andre Holland, Kara Patterson, Michael Potts, Keith Randolph Smith, Ray Anthony Thomas, and John Douglas Thompson, um, directed by Ruben Santiago Hudson. So that um that did my heart good to see that. I think that Oslo, uh, I think it's wonderful that it transferred from the Mitzi Newhouse at Lincoln Center to the Broadway space, the Beaumont, which I had predicted, I recall, um, predicting that people were like, where are they going to put it if it's going to move? And I said, well, they could just move it upstairs. <laughs> and um, the 
Beaumont was not perhaps the ideal venue in terms of um, just uh, acoustics uh, for a play and, and staging of that kind of a play, but it still worked basically just fine. So I'm glad that that happened. And that was another play that deserved to be seen by a larger audience. So uh, if it had stayed at the new house and then closed it, uh, the audience would have been much tinier. So I'm glad that made the move. Um, Paula Vogel's play, Indecent, uh, really, really stellar piece of work. I did not get to see the televised version. Did either of you catch it? No. Uh, I did I did see it, and uh, uh, I, I taped it. So if you want me to send it over to you, I can do that. Oh, I would love to at some point. I'd love to um, see how they captured it. There were, there were, I think something is inevitably lost and gained in uh, TV productions. Uh, obviously, you have close-ups, but sometimes you lose uh, stage pictures. You know, what the camera chooses to focus on is not necessarily what you might choose to focus on if you were in the theater. But I, <laughs> I applaud it whenever those cinecasts or whatever are done because they you know just for preservation and and for people who missed it to get to see it at least in some form um jesus hopped the a train stephen adley gurgis play uh came back and i caught up with that at the end of its run and was very happy to see it there was the one-man play harry clark uh, with a brilliant brilliant performance by billy crudup um i'm glad that peter mentioned after the blast uh in terms of at least in terms of the bot <laughs> and also Kristen Milioti uh but I would also put it on my favorites list as the for the play itself I think Zoe Kazan wrote a very very moving uh and thought-provoking play about what existence might be like for human beings if they were forced to live underground after ecological and, uh, um, uh, well, I guess nuclear disaster. Uh, and it really was quite chilling and, but also amazing how much humor was worked into it. Um, and that bot was really something he, he was really, really great. Um, uh, another play I wanted to mention was the the really superb production of The Government Inspector by the Red Bull Theater with Michael Yuri, who also then went on to, in the same year, uh, to Torch Song. So he really had quite a year. And as we mentioned, I think, several times in the past, next up he has Hamlet down at the Shakespeare Theater in D.C. Um, that's starting quite soon, I think. So uh, you might want to check your calendar and see if you can get down there for that, because I'm definitely hoping to do so. All right. So... Um... There is a little upstart podcast uh, called Three on the Isle with uh, some folks you might have heard of before. Peter Marks, Elizabeth Vincent Shelley, and Terry Teachout are doing a monthly podcast for American Theater Magazine. Uh, they're on their, I think it's their third podcast. They did a year-end roundup, and I thought it was interesting to see what they thought versus what we thought. Um, 
Did either one of you see Mary Jane down at New York Theater Workshop? I think Peter. Oh yeah, that, uh, it was terrific. Yeah, I mean, and by the way, I have to say that uh, I second every motion that Michael just said. Uh, they, they were terrific uh, observations, and certainly I agree with his assessment of uh, what was so worthy. But Mary Jane's another one that was really quite good, and um, I'm really hoping that we do see it uh, move. There is talk of it moving. Uh, talk is cheap, but uh, yeah. let's hope that you know that uh, it does move. Um, it's a tough play, it really is. Because yeah, they it does talk to with a, Yeah, a, a mother who has a terribly uh, disabled child and is basically doing it by herself with uh, a little help from her friends and employees that uh, she pays to come in and help. But by and large, that's her life and that's her only life, taking care of this child who is unable to give much love back. So... Yeah, you know, I think those of us who are not in that situation, it's it's almost unimaginable. So I'm glad that someone wrote a play about it. Uh, I it I missed Mary Jane. I do hope it comes back so I can see it. It sounds incredibly moving and worthy. Uh, you mentioned earlier Daniel's husband, and there again, it's not exactly the same situation, but you see people in extreme circumstances uh the in daniel's husband the the uh the 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 specific thing that happens to that poor fellow it's called locked in syndrome where really they're mentally all there but they cannot communicate in any way shape or form uh in this in that case uh not even uh, apparently some people can uh, be trained to use their eyes to look at letters on a keyboard and communicate that way but that didn't even work in in this case, as we're told, for that character. So, I I mean, I don't know about you. I don't even like to think about that. Well, Uh, that's what I'm saying, and I'm not sure that this will be a commercial success because, indeed, uh, a lot of people don't want to think about that, and, frankly, who can blame them? But but what is so effective is how it becomes these people's lives and it almost becomes something they're inured to. I mean, I'll I'll never forget in Daniel's husband when a caretaker comes out and says about the afflicted um, person, he's fine. Yeah, he's fine means that he's stable, that nothing uh, terribly more terrible has happened. But... um, That you get so inured to this situation that um, you forget that there's anything else in life. And um, and so that's what's really effective about these plays. And the value of these plays, too, is also to show us how lucky we are that we're not in these situations. Yes. Hmm. Yes. You know, we uh, all see some amazingly difficult plays. Uh, and and those are the ones that we leave the theater with and think about and ponder for days or even weeks on end after the fact. And, oh, it, sometimes it's really hard to see a difficult play, but thank goodness yes. we have them. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> they, the three of them, Peter Marks, Elizabeth, and uh, Vincent Shelley, and Terry Teachout also had quite a spirited discussion on Oslo where uh, – Peter um, and Terry liked it, and Elizabeth hated it. Mm. Uh, so I was I was interested uh, about their comments there. And then Peter Mark saw uh, saw a a touring production of Fun Home that uh, was done 
in a very large proscenium stage, and he said it worked even better because they were talking about the the new Broadway musical being small, the Dear Evan Hansen's and the band's visit and things like that. And, and Peter Marks had said, well, you know, I beg to differ that these small musicals wouldn't work in a larger house. So those are different things to think about as we move forward into the 2018 season. Uh, anything coming up in 2018? And we, uh, we talked about uh, My Fair Lady and Carousel. We mentioned that we didn't really talk about them. But anything coming up for you, Peter, that you're raring to go? Well, I'm I'm sorry to say that uh, I, I'm in the situation where uh, I've been doing uh, I've been going to the theater so long, and uh, <laughs> you know I, I've seen over eleven thousand shows, so I've learned basically to uh, not look forward. Um, there's plenty of time to be excited after I see something that's quite wonderful. So uh, I'm, I'm interested to see how Frozen is going to look and how it's going to play. I'm certainly interested in seeing Angels in America, and I'm looking forward to seeing what the Helen Hayes Theater looks like when they open Lobby Hero there, when Second Stage uh, gets its Broadway house. To see Glenda Jackson uh, is a rare opportunity, to say the least. She's been Paul for so long, so three tall women. Uh, I think Nell Benjamin is a terrific lyricist, and I bet she's brought a lot to Mean Girls. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, I know nothing about Harry Potter. Have never hmm. read one. So I've never seen one of the movies, so I'm going to be very interested to see how it plays to somebody who is uh, totally ignorant of um, the uh, the sensation. I just don't have the time to read those books, I'm sorry to say. So um, I, Denzel Washington, The Iceman Cometh, sure, uh, let's see that. Any production of St. Joan is worth seeing. But um, this, by the way, St. Joan is considered to be the most difficult role for an actress. It's, it's often been called um, the... Uh, woman's Hamlet, and uh, Condola Rashad is a terrific actress, but uh, she certainly has a challenge here coming. And I'm not saying she's gonna, she's not going to make the challenge, but still, um, it is uh, a, a, an amazingly difficult role. And um, so we'll see how that plays out. Um, so uh, those are the ones um, that intrigue me the most. And I'll always listen to John Lithgow tell stories. So um, and which I'll have a chance to do reasonably soon. So so that's. Um, what I'm looking forward to, I guess, if I'm looking forward to anything at all, um, and of course the two revivals, as you say, of Carousel and My Fair Lady, especially My Fair Lady, which is where it all started for me. That was the first Broadway show I ever saw. Michael, how about you? Well, Peter, I'm only slightly ahead of you with Harry Potter because I saw the first movie. Uh -huh. Any good? <laughs> it was very good. I just... You know, I, I, I liked it. I, Good. for whatever reason, didn't need feel the need to see any of the others, and I've never read any of the books. And I, uh, for people who are into the whole um, mythos or whatever word it is, uh, you know, they can get so into it and and really, really enjoy these things. I, I'm <laughs> Star Wars uh, is some, uh, I mean, kind of a similar example of something that I, I'm, I'm just a casual uh, enjoyer. But then I, ta I go talk to people uh, who are so into it and they start rattling off character names and plot lines. And I, and I very soon <laughs> get lost, but this will, this will be interesting because uh, I'm kind of almost in exact 
exactly the same situation you are that going into it almost completely cold. It really uh, is interesting. Um, uh, I have often said the only thing I am sure of in my life is that there will never be a play that will run longer than Life with Fathers 3,224 performances. And um, now I'm not as sure because uh, Harry Potter is going to be around for a long, long time. Now, as people point out, to me, <laughs> ah, but there are two plays and therefore each play only gets four a week and therefore it's going to be very hard for them to pass 3,224 performances uh, given with four a week. Sure, but who would have thought that um, Phantom of the Opera would be around for 30 years? I mean, you just never know. And again, the Harry Potter thing may very well turn out to be something that uh, becomes yesterday's news as the years go on. Um, so it may not um, rack up even, who knows, a thousand performances for each play. Uh, it may not. But um, suddenly I'm not sure about this prediction that I, uh, this statement I've made so many, so many times in my life that there will never be a play run that long. Because, of course, plays don't run that long anymore anymore um right. the the list of the 10 longest running plays has not changed in um close to 30 years so uh while of course with musicals it's it's tremendously different um 30 years ago so where were we 30 years 83 yeah all right uh, no what 87 right okay still i think uh chorus line was still the longest running uh, musical then and now it's probably in about 10th place so um so yeah you know it's uh we'll see what happens of course and maybe i won't see what happens <laughs> Because uh, <laughs> it's a good possibility Harry Potter will out, uh, outlive me. So uh, I, I'm interested about what you, Michael had brought up about people in Harry Potter world or Star Wars world uh, knowing all the ins and outs of everything. This is what they say about us in theater and Broadway. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. We're no different. You know, everybody has his, his uh, passionate interest, and this happens to be ours. And sure, oh, I would never put down anybody who's interested in anything, anything oh, no, at all. not a put down I mean, at all, no. Oh, Absolutely. never, no. never, because uh, being a, a fan of this arcane art form that uh, most of the public has no idea about, I mean, you know, who am I to, to say, what, you like that? You know, absolutely not. Well, one thing that uh, I think I mentioned before that surprised me when I first read about it, I, I didn't initially realize that Harry Potter and the Cursed Child is about the main characters as adults. And I might have thought that that would work against its popularity, but apparently not based on the London production. So um, I think that's interesting. Uh, I guess the title um, alone and, you know, I mean, they, they, this character still have the same names. They're just older, uh, has so much pull for so many people. Um, so we will we will see how that translates uh, in terms of a long run. But I, I, I think you're probably right, Peter. I wouldn't be a bit surprised if it just goes on and on and on. Yeah, but in in terms of that, um, his being an adult, I, I'm interested in things like that. I, ironically enough, I was just thinking the other day about a friend of mine who once proposed. This is 30 years ago now, but anyway, once proposed that there be a TV series called Little Ricky about uh, the child of Lucy and Ricky Ricardo, and um, and because he he was certainly. Uh, 
a person who would know a lot of celebrities because his father ran this nightclub and so on and so forth. And every now and then Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz, who was still alive when this was proposed, could come in and make a, a guest appearance, you know. And uh, so I, I'd be interested in that TV show. And um, sure, I'd like to see what happened to Annie Warbucks uh, 20 years later. Uh, does she lose the fortune that Daddy Warbucks made? Is she a great philanthropist? Uh, uh, is she on sex and drugs and rock and roll? I mean, I, you know, I, sure. I mean, it's always fun to speculate what people become and um even if if it turns out like lillian hellman doing a prequel of um of uh, little foxes uh, another part of the forest which is an excellent play as well I, I i like seeing people in different stages of their lives and so uh i can really understand why people who only knew harry potter as uh, as a child and daniel radcliffe would be very interested to see how he turned out well, and as several people pointed out, it's uh, many people who first encountered uh, those characters when they were children are now. Yeah, adults, right. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> so well, you go along uh, for the ride. It does lead with the two words Harry and Potter, which is right. you know an international brand right now. Right. And uh, I wonder if there has been disappointment in London or if there will be disappointment in, in Broadway that people think that this is a continuation of – of those the books and not them as adults and how that how that will uh, uh, affect the theater ticket buying public. Well, again, uh, I, I I think the success of the London yeah. production pro- probably answers that question. <laughs> I I have uh, I have several things that I'm potentially really looking forward to, but okay. there is one that's coming right up that I thought I would mention. Ron Fassler, uh, who wrote a wonderful book called Up in the Cheap Seats uh, about his experience as a young theater goer uh, and has been a guest on our podcast. He's doing a show at Feinstein's 54 Below uh, based, you know, based around the book. And he's got um, he'll be performing himself, but he's got some really wonderful people with him. He's got Michael Bernardi, uh, son of Herschel Bernardi from Fiddler on the Roof, uh, Stephen Bagardis, Kevin Chamberlain, Anita Gillette, Debbie Gravitt, Elmore James, and Lee Wilkoff, uh, and some other people as well. So that uh, is something that I'm really looking forward to as a as a post-holiday uh, event to get me out of the post-holiday blahs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've uh, we've talked about that a number of times on uh, Today on Broadway. Um, uh, Matt Tamanini interviewed Ron and has been talking about the 54 Below show that's coming up. So, uh, right. uh, in fact, I'll link in the show notes to uh, Matt's interview with Ron. Uh, it's very interesting, uh, you know, uh, just when you think, you know, you've spoken to Ron so many times and you know everything, there's another beautiful nugget of information that comes out that's that you say, oh, my goodness. <laughs> yes. Uh, I'll be there. I'm definitely going to see it. Uh, right. I'm, I'm a big fan of Up in the Cheap Seats and, uh, and Ron as well, so I'm looking forward to it um, this week. Yes. Okay, before we wrap up for today, I would like to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of broadwayradio.com. There's a subscribe link. That way, each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway, it'll be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to us in Apple Podcasts. You can listen to us in many ways. One of the ways is iHeartRadio plays us, TuneIn plays us. 
uh, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere that you can listen to find our podcasts, you can get us. Contact information for Peter, for Michael, and for me can be found at broaderradio.com, as well as links to some of the things we've talked about today. So, Peter, do you have an answer to last week's trivia? Well, last week's question was, if a song title from a Tony-winning musical of the 70s had been written in time for June 13, 1965, it would have aptly described Cheetah Rivera's job situation. Explain. Well, here's the explanation. Uh, let me say this was, I, I thought, an impossible question, but at least the Tony-winning musical of the 70s that I referenced was the first Tony-winning musical of the 70s, Applause. So if you had started looking chronologically, you wouldn't have had to go far. But what I would hope you would do is go to IBDB, click on Cheetah Rivera, <laughs> and see that on June 12, 1965, Bajour closed. It was a musical about gypsies, and Cheetah Rivera had played a gypsy. Uh, so, so on June 13th, we would have said, as applause did, she's no longer a gypsy. <laughs> <laughs> now, of course, in applause, gypsy meant something else entirely. It's the term used for uh, dancers who go from show to show to show. So uh, it wasn't the same thing. But still, you could say she's no longer a gypsy. The only person to get it, and I'm amazed that he did, well, I'm, in a way I'm not, was Doug Strassler, because he's one of our brightest young voices in the theater. I'm very proud that he's one of my colleagues on uh, this year's Drama Desk nominating committee. And listeners, you can find him on the websites of Garden State Journal, Show Score, and TDF Stages. He also has a terrific podcast himself called Back on the Block, where he talks about theater, yes, but film, television, and pop culture, too. So check out Doug Strassler. Uh, I can endorse him heartily. Now, for a new question. Um, so, what do these songs have in common? You're the top from Anything Goes. Do it the hard way from Pal Joey. It's a perfect relationship from Bells Are Ringing. Lila Tremaine from Fade Out, Fade In. I Don't Need Anything But You from Annie. Just Go to the Movies from A Day in Hollywood, A Night in the Ukraine. The American Dream, Miss Saigon, and A Moment With You, Saturday Night. Uh, one from each decade going from the 30s to the um, aughts, uh, if you consider Saturday Night a, an aught show as opposed to a 50s show because we didn't see it here until the aughts. So uh, what do they have in common? All right. If you have an idea, then yeah, email us at trivia@broadwayradio.com, and we'll let you know if you're on the right track. So for the last time in 2017, this is James Reno saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway videos this week on Broadway. Bye-bye. Bye. Happy New Year. Bye.